0: Oh good morning. morning. Father, we want to thank you that you are the refuge, Lord, that we can survive the storm because of of you. Uh, There's a lot of storms out there brewing right now, Lord, and uh, the world is very aware of much turmoil and anxiety and fear and uncertainty of all sorts. And so we're very mindful and just grateful for the fact that as your children today, we can look to you, we can trust you. And I just pray, Father, if there's someone here today that is incredibly anxious and fearful of the future, and just even their circumstances now, that they'll look to the, the one who shed his blood so that they can have everlasting life and have peace with God, and then peace in circumstances of life for that matter. Just thank you for our time together now. I pray you bless this time around your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. like you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, which is right after Proverbs. And we're going to go to chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and just before we read, the story is told of two mice who uh, had lived in a weaver's shop. And all day long, the steady hum of the loom fills their life. And overhead, the shuttle passes back and forth colors that appear and disappear. And every so often, the loom stops and scissors appear and a snip of a thread here and and they tie it off. A new spool is loaded on and a new set of colors starts. One of the mice says to the others, what did he do that for? Black is all wrong. What did he stop that Beautiful burgundy. Then off the noise will go again with different colors mingling in among black and reds, golds and purples, grays and creams, greens, and then it all stops and snip and more threads are started in pink and oranges and sunset tints with yellow and burnt umber. Then stop and snip and off it goes again. And one of the mice says to the other, Well, that looks terrible. And the other says, well, the weaver knows what he's doing. And the mice replies, what weaver? I don't believe in a weaver. Sure, that machine goes on and on like it always has right from the day you were born. It just keeps trampling along. No one outlasts the loom. It will still be going the day you die. And I don't believe in a weaver. Sure, there's a weaver. What about all the changes? What about the rhythm of the loom? What about the design of the carpet? The other says, well, there can't be a weaver because the thing is in shambles. Staggly ends of tails everywhere. Colors mixing and clashing. And then the mice says to the other, ah, but it will look great from the other side, says the other. There's a time for gold and a time for black, a time for red and a time for browns, a time to cut and a time to tie, a time to tighten and a time to slacken. That's the weaver at work. You mightn't seen him, but each thread is planned and designed by him to create a masterpiece. You have to remember that we live under the loom. And we can't see the whole thing. And even if we could see it, we're so small that we couldn't see it all at once. And you know, when you think about that story, is just before I read in, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. We can't see the weaver. We can't always see what he's doing. And so to us, sometimes when we look at our lives and what's going on in the world today, it looks like a right mess. The way the world deals with this and the way they deal with it is to pretend that there isn't a weaver or that he's not very good or that there are some weaving vandals. Who sneak in and weave dark threads in and although the weaver sees his work marred by these dark threads, there's nothing he can do about it. And so some wrongly come to the conclusion that he's either a non-existent weaver or stupid one or powerless at best. And yet the word of God says that is absolutely not the case. There is a weaver. Who's at work. And as we look at these verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I think we'll see that there is a weaver, that he has a plan. He has a plan for your life and mine. And what he does is he incorporates all that's going on in our lives what we might think is the good, the bad, and even the ugly, but he turns it into something good, something wise, and really powerful, if we'll just see it. From his perspective, Ecclesiastes 3, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war and a time for peace and then just the first next portion of verse 11 he has made everything appropriate or some translations say beautiful in its time well, some of you who weren't familiar with Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 might be familiar with that song, actually. And you say, you know, wasn't there a song about this? And yes, there was. It was a man in the late 50s who wrote a song and he composed it. And then it was sung by a group, if some of you remember, by the name of the Birds, back in the early 60s. And they took right from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I don't know if they understood the content of it. But it was written 3,000 years ago, this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes by Solomon. When he became king, he asked God for wisdom. And the scripture says that he became the wisest man that was on the face of the planet. And so he penned, from a view of under the sun, if you like, from his perspective, these chapters in Ecclesiastes. And it's not a a fatalistic book by any means. It's really a book of realism. It's a book of uh, seeing life like it is under the sun from our perspective. And, And from it, he also weaves in these wonderful things that are truths from the scriptures of what God says about different things. In his conclusion, this man who had all of this power and wealth, and he had women, and he had everything that technically a man who does not know Christ would think is what he needs, he came to the conclusion at the end of the life is that the best thing in life is to serve God. And to serve him in your youth. And to live for for God. And when you read these first verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8, What I want you to see this morning, and you probably know this already, but just be reminded of this today, that God is in control of your life, not you, not me. There are these verses that we just read speak of 28 activities that summarize, if you like, life. That pretty much encompasses what goes on in our life. And it makes up, if you like, that repetitive cycle, like a hamster wheel. Of just what's going on in our lives at any given time we are experiencing these things that Solomon wrote about. The list is interesting because it's made up of 14 positive and 14 negative things that occur. And for some people, when they and this is just an awesome book for someone who doesn't know God to be who's searching. Because this book just brings out the futility and vanity of life apart from God. And what's so awesome about it is, is that from some people's perspective, you can really help them to see that life really does seem, apart from God, apart from knowing Christ, very chaotic indeed. It's very random, and it's very repetitive. If you have a job today, if you're grateful, if you're fortunate to have a job, you say you have a job in order that you can earn money. And you would say you earn money so that, among other things, you hope that you can Eat. And then you say, well, why do you need to eat? And you say, so that I can work. And it just goes on and on and on. Looking at things, you know, without the glasses of faith, if you like, and just looking at what's, what's going on in, our, in the world, it seems like there sometimes seems to be no order to why certain people get ill, why someone dies when they do, why you have hurricanes that strike a certain part of the United States when we here would, for example, be very grateful to get two or three inches of that rain where they get inundated in certain parts of America and other parts of the world with severe flooding. And you wonder, what, what is behind all of this? What Solomon is arguing, and you see this for yourself and I trust you do, is that this pattern like the mice that are looking at it from their perspective, nonetheless, it's a pattern that is overseen by a wise and loving God who created us. It's not random. It's not like he has somehow taken off for the last 60 years and is just in a long sleep, unawares as to what was going on. You remember when Jesus was on the boat, he knew that the disciples were in that situation on the boat. He knew when he was asleep. As a man, didn't mean that he wasn't aware of what was going on. What Solomon is is saying in, in this wonderful little poetic passage of Scripture is that there is a time for everything. Nothing, nothing, nothing ever escapes the control of God. There's no chance happenings in God's universe. I think, for example, of a couple that we've gotten to know recently over the last year or so where I fellowship, their names are Jeff and Kathy Pacini. And was so amazing, and he always comes back to this kind of thought that God's in control, God's at work because of the situation, and if you can just allow me briefly to share it. I grew up in Hayward on a street called Scripps. The street ahead of me was a street called Bellhaven, which is the street my wife grew up on, and I was her paper boy, or her parents' paperboy. I never got the paper right, quite right on the porch. Often they called and said, which bush is it in, which shrub, but... You know, back in those days, you just aimed from the sidewalk, you know, and like a boomerang. And um, Kathy lived on the same street about ten houses down. She and Cindy knew each other from kindergarten to high school. Now, I have to confess, going back now to about 1978 was the last time they saw one another. Jeff, and by the way, I was their paper boy for her parents as well. Jeff lived on the street behind my parents. So we have Kathy and Cindy a block ahead. Jeff behind, and I was the paper boy for his parents. We fast forward 1978 to 2007, and I'm leading an evangelistic Bible study where we're just wanting to teach people and share with people the wonderful things of Christianity and what it's all about, and there's this couple, and with time, you forget, and people change, and I said, so who are you folks? And they say, we're Jeff and Kathy. I said, nice to meet you. Where do you live? Pleasanton. Okay. I don't recognize her. She doesn't recognize me anyway. They come downstairs and they come to the the main service and they see Cindy on the piano. And she says to Cindy or to her husband, she goes, that's Cindy Rodriguez. She runs up to her after the service and says, Cindy Rodriguez, Kathy Varis. That was her maiden name, Kathy Varis. And Cindy looks, Kathy Varis. And she remembers, but didn't quite remember her looking like that, where she remembered exactly how Cindy looked. And then she said, well, you must know now my husband, Randy, because you're in the class he's in. And she says, "Who and is that? And she says, Randy White. She says, that's Randy White? <laughs> so something was different with me over the years. I like, like to think it was the weightlifting or something. Um, he had just become a Christian within the six months of attending, and he was coming to bring his wife. To this type of study. She did not know one thing of, of God. She did not know a story about David and Goliath. She did not, never had heard of David and Goliath, let alone have read it. Never knew anything of Old or New Testament. And she was coming week after week after week. And I guess it was probably about eight months later that we were talking one day in front of a group of folk and I'd asked her a question. I said, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And before she'd always told me when I'd asked that question a few times, no. But when I asked her it again, she said, yes, I said, what changed? Why did you say yes now? And she went on to say that in her own quiet time, in her own home, about a month previous, she had received the Lord Jesus as her Savior. She just didn't know that there wasn't more to it, like she was supposed to hear something else, or God in voice, and she was simply in her heart trusting in the blood of Christ for her salvation, and it was an awesome thing. And now we have become these close friends, and they're in our Bible study together every other week that we have. And it... It's just amazing, isn't it, that as I think back, just how God is working in that situation and people that they are now bringing and people that they have invited who are friends. Another couple that, another gal that they brought a couple weeks later also attended high school with us, graduated in 1978. She, too, has become a Christian and is bringing her husband, who hasn't been in a church in 25 years, with her as well. And so I tell all that because there's no chance happenings, and he very clearly is a very young Christian and as well as her, sees that God is at work, and he's moving, and there's things that are happening that we sometimes don't see, but nonetheless it's happening. And what Solomon is telling us here, and I'd like to suggest that in addition not to being only what we should do, but that he's describing what happens in life regardless, regardless of what we do. I'd like to suggest he's not only telling us to put order into our lives, but he's telling us that there is an order to the events that happen to us in our daily lives that are outside our control. So much is outside our control. And so I don't know how you control freaks do when you hear that. I thought I was a type A personality until I took a test a couple of days ago, and I only scored 35%, so now I don't know what I am. I always said I was, whatever that meant, but I failed, and I'm not. But for those of us who want to be in control, we want to be in the driver's seat. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus today, and you like to think that you are in control of your life, that you're going to control your destiny. Well, the passage of Scripture here is saying anything but that, that you don't. For example, look at the first verse. There is a time to live and a time to die. I ask you, did you have any say when you arrived into this world? You didn't. For all you know, and if your parents have ever told you, you might have been unexpected. Maybe you weren't planned. But God wasn't surprised. God knew that you were coming. God was not taken by surprise at your arrival onto this earth. He expected it. And he chose you to be the color, to be the race, to be the sex, to be the exact person that you are. And he created you today because he has a desire to not only know you but to love you and for you to in turn know and love him and to serve him. He wants your life to be so occupied and caught up with himself that he wants to bring that kind of joy and pleasure into your life. And so he's excited and delighted as, as Zephaniah 3.17 that he rejoices you like over a, a parent rejoices over their child and he does it so with singing. That's how excited he is for you. You and I weren't up in heaven and discussing with God when we would come down to earth. It didn't happen like that. We didn't say when we were going to make our appearance. God chose that. And he also through the course of the natural things in life, he will choose the time that you die. Now of course for the believer we have a blessed hope and we and we're trusting we're not as someone has said looking for the mortician, but we're looking for the savior to come back down and so that we won't have to die. And we'll actually go right up into his presence. But if the Lord should tarry, and if he delays, then the truth of the matter, because I don't see an Enoch here among us, we will physically die. Interesting thing is the Lord Jesus chose when he would die. He, he gave up his spirit. He, the, he was in control of that circumstance at the cross, not them. But for you and I, he knows the number of days that were allotted. Psalm 90, verse 10 says that our general allotment, generally speaking is 70 years. Anything after that is is a gift from God. It's a blessing. It's a predetermined appointment death that must be kept. And I'm not just wearing black because I'm on a morbid subject here today to discuss that. It's just the reality. But we know, as his children, if you're a Christian this morning, we know that we are not going to be taken from this scene until our work is finished here on earth. That's the assurance we have. So if you're one of these ones who get a little bit afraid when you have to fly or you're afraid when you have to drive, or you're fearful of this, really there's no reason because you're not going until God's ready to take you. You're not going to happen. It's not going to happen by some circumstance that's outside of God's control. He knows when it's going to happen. Solomon is saying that what occurs between birth and death is appointed by God. And there's tremendous comfort in that. You don't have to fear that. And then he says there's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. Wouldn't planting uh, be a waste in the winter? In the cold climates of America, it would make no sense to be out there planting. When the lawns, we don't really see that here except for the drought now we're seeing it, but where the lawns turn brown and everything dies up in the cold climates of different parts of the West in the mountains. It'd be a waste. And God, of course, has now given us the new season, September 22nd, fall. Is that anybody's favorite season here among us? certainly is myself. At work the other day, we all got a pumpkin latte at Starbucks, and we all stood up and toasted to fall. (laughs) I went out and bought, and so they were toasting, I think, that as well. And um, we said to fall, and we all just stood up and raised our glasses because it is an awesome time. Isn't it kind of our God that he gives us seasons? That we can, and even even here, the fact that we had some rain a couple nights ago—it's just what we so desperately need. God appoints the times and the seasons, and what God is saying through Solomon is He appoints also the events in our lives. And then He goes on to say, "There's a time to kill and a time to heal," and there's so much I could say, and you could think about that's either figuratively about these verses or that's literally true, but from Solomon as he's writing these things, and again, just remember, this is this man writing, and from his perspective, this is how it appears of what goes on in life. There is a time to kill and a time to heal. There's times when, when man doesn't do what he should, and of course, when you read the Old Testament, you read the number of wars that occurred and so forth, and there was killings, but there's times when an animal, for example, there's a time to kill. He's maybe looking at the natural course of the world and seeing that. But there's times when man does do what he shouldn't, and he does. There are, if you like, the destructive things that happen in life. But they're not outside God's knowledge. That's important for us to understand. And while God gives us the ability to make choices, sometimes we'll confess some of those choices we make are lousy ones. They're, They're terrible choices. Even still, he's still sovereign. He's still in control when we do that. There's a time when healing comes and we get better from what's bothering us. My sister and I were at my parents' anniversary dinner luncheon yesterday in San Francisco and when I saw her, it had been a few months and I said, how you doing? And she started to kind of list a number of things that were wrong physically. And I said, well, welcome to 50. Because that's, she just turned 50 a few months ago. There's a time when healing comes and we get better. But I ask you, who chooses the time of the healing? You and I can't choose the time. God chooses that for us. And in his perfect time, in his appointed time, he knows when that is. Sometimes and often, more often than not, you take the medication that is prescribed by the doctor, by the prescription at the chemist. And you kind of expect, you know what, within two days I'll be better. But really, ultimately, when you think about it, God is the one who designs when your healing is going to occur. Some of us would love to choose that time. We would like to be better right now. We have a woman in our fellowship, some of you know her name, uh, Carol Porter. Uh, She's the wife of Mark Porter, who's uh, been an active teacher uh, over the years. And she was just recently diagnosed with melanoma. She had it in her eye, which I I don't think many of us knew you could get, a few years ago. And then it reoccurred, and it's back in her liver and in her lungs. And it's, she has an interesting uh, web blog. I think it's called carolsclimb.blogspot.com. But it's this amazing thing, because when you go to it, there's this huge picture of hapdome. dome. And that part right where, if you've ever climbed it, after you've done the switchbacks, you start to go up the cables. That part that just looks like this when you're walking. And you look like this, and there's nothing other than just mountain on both sides. And if somebody before you decides to fall, you're going with them in that domino effect. And on her website, though, she talks about climbing this mountain. And it's very interesting to read her her blogs and to read uh, what she's writing and what others are writing to her. But what you see is someone who is very much trusting in the healer and knows that in his time, he can heal her. However, she also appreciates the fact that if God chooses not to, that's God being God and being sovereign. And it's this amazing, amazing um, thing of faith. Whenever I read it, I feel humbled because I wonder, that's someone who's placing their trust in the mountain mover. That's someone who's looking to God and isn't crumbling under the circumstances of ill health. And she even said to me a couple of weeks ago, she still wants to serve and be part of this evangelistic Bible study that we're doing. It just goes to show, I asked her daughter-in-law this morning how she's doing it. She said, you "Well, know, she was babysitting for our kids over the weekend so that we could go away. She wanted us to go away for the weekend. So here she is getting treatment and somehow being able to care for children on the weekend. And then there's a time to tear down and a time to build up. And you just look at that. You say, you know what, that is the natural course of things. Old buildings wear out, new buildings replace them. Some of you ladies might say, I'm going to cite this verse to my husband this morning. After we leave, you know, there's something you need to tear down and you need to build that up. I've been asking you to do that for a long time. It's part of the natural course of things in life. Those construction projects. And then there's Solomon says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. It's been said, and it's really pretty fitting, isn't it, that life seems to alternate between tragedy and comedy. Something's going on kind of in between those things. And what Solomon is suggesting is is that we don't choose the times of joy nor the times of sorrow. How we react to them, we choose. But we don't choose them. We don't know what's coming around the corner tomorrow or later this afternoon that could turn you today being incredibly joyful into experiencing sorrow. And sometimes they come when we're at least ready for it, don't they? I didn't expect that news from Carol when all of a sudden that broke a couple weeks ago. And to me, she's this person of health, walking every day, watching what she eats. And yet that occurred. Whenever I answer a 911 call, I know that those folks who I'm speaking to did not anticipate that that moment, if they were to anticipate it an hour or two or three ago, that they would ever have to be calling out for help for some problem. They didn't anticipate it. You didn't anticipate that the next physical you go to, you might hear something that you didn't want to hear. Although if you're eating tons of donuts and fatty foods, you might know he's going to say your cholesterol's up a little bit. You might anticipate that. But we don't know for sure what's going to occur when the police officer knocks on your door and has to deliver some news to you. I think of the Richmond police this uh, morning who are in mourning for an officer who was going to an officer and needing help called just on the day it rained, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, and he hit a pole on his way and wiped out and he's brain dead. he's in John Muir Hospital, and they're just waiting for friends and family to come to say their goodbyes. One moment, he was in police headquarters. A call went out for help. He left the police station two blocks away, wrapped around a pole, 29 years old. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There will be those sad situations that occur in life that will cause us to weep. And then interestingly enough, it could be you and I in those very circumstances where we're weeping. But then something will happen. God will allow in a situation in our lives or someone we know that that four weeks later will be dancing. We're the same person. we have experiencing the weeping. we have experiencing the dancing. You think of the funeral. That's the time when you think of mourning often because we miss someone. We're glad if they know Christ that they're going to be with him. But we'll mourn their, the loss that we'll experience here on earth but then we could be at a wedding and we'll be dancing and there'll be joy i think of though I'm not 100% sure where i am in that cuz i have four daughters who have yet to be married and i'm not sure if there'll be mourning when the bill comes or <laughs> dancing unless they all get it done at the same time i'm just trying to figure out how to save on that one but i don't know a time to throw stones and a time to gather This has a couple of different interpretations. And just for the simplicity of time and so forth, I I liked the study of where I read that it's a time for victory. Scattering stones on fields was what victorious troops did to, to render the land, if you like, unproductive. And then there's a time of defeat when you're on the receiving end. Again, often it's not up to us if we're on the victory or on the defeat. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's a time when love is able to be expressed. Think of the number of times when we lived in Ireland that our parents, Cindy's parents and mine, were able to come over and we were able to embrace and express our love. But then there were so many times when we were distant from each other and we weren't able to do that. There wasn't the internet back in those days. There wasn't cell phones and we had to shun embracing. Circumstances sometimes happen in life where we can embrace, and there are circumstances that God allows where we can't. And then, of course, if you take the understanding of this, that what we should do, there are times we should embrace, and then there's appropriate times or inappropriate times, I should say, when we shouldn't, and we should be shunning embracing if it's not in a healthy circumstance. There's a time to search, and a time to give up is lost. Well, things get lost and we have to look, don't we? Things wear out and we have to ditch them. But often the timing of those circumstances, that's not in our hands when that occurs. That's part of this pattern of what happens in life. When you've lost your keys, I did mine about two weeks ago. I had no idea where they were. I didn't plan to lose them. It happened. I locked them inside my van. And then Cindy had to come and get them for me as I was at the location I was. You turn that house upside down looking for something that's lost. And sometimes you have to give it up. The other day, the same key at work. Somehow I had a key on my keychain, And from the time I went from my car to my job, I had lost the key just for that van. And there was police officers out with metal detectors in the shrubs looking for that key. I got pretty good service in that whole situation. Couldn't find it. I looked for two hours with flashlights and everything all night long. How can I lose one key off a keychain? It was lost. It was time to give up. And so it goes. The garbage disposal goes out. The hot water heater will leak. We didn't plan it. It happens. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. And I know some of you right now are listening to that. Pack rats among us. There's a time for garage sales. There's a time to give. To local charity. And not be so consuming when God says give it up. These things happen. There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. I don't know exactly what Solomon had in mind there. Was he talking about references to the constant changing patterns of clothing? Hymns are let out. They're shortened. They're tightened. They're loosened. You see, some of us see some of the circumstances or some of the clothing styles today and we would love for a change to something more conservative. Patterns change. There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew. Another way to interpret this is grief. Along with when you tear apart of our clothing, it comes too unexpected. You don't plan on ripping that piece of clothing. And like grief, you don't plan that either. And yet there's a time when grief's pain, it goes away and it, it reduces. And if you like, we can mend the garments again and start over. And start fresh, especially for those who've been in a widow situation. They understand that, of what goes on in life. But they're not something you plan. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. I remember when we were in Ireland, we were at a dentist, and a couple of our kids were sitting with us while one of our older daughters was sitting there. And the dentist, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, said, silence. I never had anyone speak to me like that before to my kids. But we just all looked at each other. In his mind, that was a time for silence. He was tired of the talking that they were doing in the office. We didn't go back to him after that, I don't think. (laughs) Time for silence when you're criticized unjustly. When you're tempted to criticize someone else, time for silence. Or when you want to say something that's untrue or unkind, time for silence. Ask God to give you the self-control to say nothing. and Not to say like some people say, well, if I can't say something good about somebody, I've been told not to say anything. You know, that's kind of missing the point, to say that to someone. Time to be silent when we're not going to build someone up but in a sense, tear them down. But there is a time to speak. Mordecai advised Esther, and he said these very words, that he said the time had come for her to speak. It's a time to speak when it comes to the subject of evangelism. When it comes to the subject of wanting to share Jesus Christ with someone and tell them something about this wonderful Savior that if you know today, we need to speak. Our lives obviously need to live an example, but with our mouth. We need to open them up and whatever way it is that God wants us to speak. We need to do so and not be fearful. It's not a time there to be quiet. And there's a time to love and a time to hate. And then he wraps up and he says in a time for war and a time for peace. There are times when you and I are going to find ourselves in circumstances where we're filled with love. Absolutely filled with it. And then there's times where we're going to be brought into circumstances where we're filled with hate. And you and I need to know what are the things that God says is appropriate to hate. We're to hate sin. We should hate the sin in our own lives and we should hate the sin that we see in our world around us and in other people's lives and yet still love the person. Sometimes when I see things that happen at work and the circumstances of what I see people that are experiencing and going through who call for help, I absolutely hate it. The kind of uh, abuse that goes on. For kids, whether it's physical or sexual, things that I just hate. And there's a time for that. Circumstances are going to happen in our lives. And then there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And Solomon looking at that under the sun is saying, you know what, he had seen it. You know, there's, there seems to be times for war. And again, a, a challenge for us among believers is to know when is the appropriate time for that. But what is it that God allows? He knows he's sovereign, he's in control. And so when you look at this and you say, okay, I see that God's in control. So, in a sense, so what? What does God want from me from these eight verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 3? And I'd like to suggest a couple of things. When you read this and you just realize how little you really are in control of what occurs in your life, remember this, that that ought to keep us humble. There shouldn't be any pride among us. We should not be, as James says in chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city. And spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. And James says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say it. The Lord wills. We shall live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. God, I think, wants to put us in our place and remember who we are. And, of course, who he is. And then, secondly, he wants us to trust him. And I know from talking to a number of you, and I come over this so many times, it seems the older I get, that in it, it's to trust him in the good and in the bad times as we see them of what is happening in life. Right now, if you're turning on the television over the last couple of weeks, you know that as far as uh, for a lot of folk, this is a bad time for them. They, they, you hear words like fear lack of confidence, uh, crisis, economic, is your money safe? All of these things that seem, people seem to be despairing, even among Congress, the approval rating is 10% right now. People are dissatisfied, incredibly uh, unsettled and anxious. You get any kind of a sense of, of pulse of what is going on in so many lives across America today, it's a wonderful opportunity to bring Jesus into the situation, because he is the rock. He is the fortress. He's the one that we can trust in right now, and we should have all along. But people were trusting in chariots, and as the, scripture, the psalmist said, some in horses. But the psalmist says, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, our God. But God is weaving this so that everything is planned, and this is no accident. He is not caught unawares by what is occurring to us, because the scripture says that he knows a number of hairs on our head. And for some of us, we'd say, well, that, he doesn't have to count too far for that. <laughs> but he even knows that it's changing. He knows it all. Scripture Matthew 6 tells us he knows the movement of the birds. You and I, as, who have been made in his image, he is so absolutely concerned for us and he cares for us. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us. Not the birds, but for you and I. Some of us, though, what happens is, is when, when the crisis hits, when the uncertainty hits, when it looks like this isn't God how I'd weave it if I were you. I'd be weaving it a different way, a different pattern than what you're doing right now. We think as though God has forgotten. You know, it's like he's ham- had amnesia for a little while. But he doesn't really remember what he's doing. It's been said, and it's a challenging paragraph here, where it's been said God didn't want this to happen... Some people say that God didn't plan this. God had nothing to do with this. You fill in the blank of whatever that is. And it said, well, this sounds like nice advice at the time and seems to let God off the hook. It reduces God to some weak, ineffective, nice old man who wanted nice stuff to happen to us, but is powerless to make it happen. Yet, God allows these circumstances in our life. Look what he did with Job. He was very much able to change that, but he gave Satan permission. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. It's not that God says that because he's finding out about it as we go. And he says, oh, I know the plans. He knows the plans. From the very beginning when you and I were created to the day we leave this earth, he knows the plans that he has for us. Everything that comes to you from birth to death comes from the hand of God. Now, if we believe that, if we believe that, that's going to give us a trust in our Savior, in our God, that's going to make our faith unshakable. And as Jenny said, who will survive the storm? We will. We will survive the storm as we look to the rock of our salvation Remember Hebrews 11, 6 in closing, and closing where the writer says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you today that you're a God that we can trust in and we so desperately, Lord, you know today that there may be among us one of our our own here who desperately wants peace, um, that wants to find comfort, wants to find uh, be lifted from fear and worry, and just wants to trust you afresh. I pray that you'll, you'll meet that need for each person here today who's experiencing those kind of storms right now. Father, I want to thank you that you're a God that is sovereign, that you're a God that is in control. That you know my comings and my goings. As the scripture says, you know when we rise up and when we lay down. And Father, I just pray today that this coming week that we'll be your children who will have this kind of confidence in you as our God. I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know what it means to trust in you, does not know what it means to have um, the assurance of sins forgiven and that when they die, that they will be able to be with you for eternity. I pray that you'll make that very well and clear and known to them and that they'll embrace you and not shun you like maybe they've been doing to date, but actually just want to embrace you for all your love and for all your worth. We pray you just bless us as we go this day. Thank you that you are a God that we can trust and that you do make all things appropriate in the appointed time and that you're a beautiful God. and We love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.